Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of One Mic Night, the podcast that brings you stories of artists and people on their journey, helping to guide, answer questions, and motivate you in the business and in life. Now, I want to thank everybody for keeping up with me on this journey. We've had a lot of very, very interesting, uh, inspirational people on the podcast, and I appreciate you guys for being with me in this season, which is season three, and also for following me on One Mike Night Talk, the other podcast with my two other hosts, Liz Menezes and Ashley Elizabeth Green, with the new episodes that drop every Tuesday, so make sure you tune into that, available on all digital platforms, as well as on the YouTube channel. Today, it's a little bit different. My guest today, is <laughs> goes by the name of Leo Donato, aka Jeffrey Feliz Ives. He is a spokesperson for HSWM, which is HIV Stops With Me organization campaign. He's a community outreach person and a trauma informed peer counselor for a certain New York medical center. He's also a former porn star. So please welcome him to, <laughs> I hate to say it like that. Well, no, thank you. Thank you. That was a great introduction. Is that good? You like that? You said it quite well. Listen, I have questions. <laughs> the I'm first, sure you do. <laughs> the first question is, who is Leo Donato? Um, well, Leo Donato is my stage name. It's the name that I use as a point star. And um, who is Leo Donato? Well, I guess you can say he's like my alter ego, my the other half of me that was um, more confident, more daring. Uh, I'm a shy person by nature, actually. Mm. And um, but Leo is the opposite. Leo is more extroverted and out. No, I'm, we're just as outgoing, but I would have to say he's more more daring, more. Fearless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about Jeffrey? Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey is more. Well, Leo lives his entire life in the moment. That's all he lives his life in mm-hmm. the present moment of now. Jeffrey is um, more of a a truth seeker. Um, like you, I like to hear people's story. I like to know where they came from and um, without judgment, um, without absolute no judgment at all to understand where they're coming from. Um, I like to understand my own journey, my own purpose in life. And yeah, Jeffrey's more, more, way more deep. <laughs> way where, where, did, where did Jeff, where's Jeffrey born? Where did Jeffrey begin? Where did the um, beginning? Jeffrey was born in um, Hartford, Connecticut. Um, I was born to Dominican parents, both from the island. So I'm first generation American. Um, and how did Jeffrey, how did Jeffrey get here to New York? What was the journey like for you getting to New York? Well, actually I got here June 17th, 2004, after being kicked out of my home for being gay. Um, so I ended up moving to New York in 2004. I took the Greyhound bus to New York with my suitcase and myself, my laptop, and that was it. And that was just like the start of my new, I guess you can say my new life. Or embracing my, I guess you can say my homosexuality. Okay. 
So growing up, you, uh, did you how was your relationship with your family? Your, did you have siblings? Well, we, did you? We, I'm, I'm one of four. Mm-hmm. The first male was the third child. I have two older sisters that came before me. Our family was pretty tight knit. Um, you know, you could imagine that in my home, we only spoke Spanish because um, not everyone spoke English. My mom still doesn't speak English <laughs> to this day. So it's like, we only spoke Spanish. So we, in our household, since it was four of us, plus my cousin, my grandmother, we didn't really need to associate with like, we didn't need like neighbors to play with or any of that sort of thing. So we grew up pretty green, you know, even though we, I grew up here in the United States, I grew up very, very much very Dominican. Dominican customs, Dominican traditions, every, you know, very much was there so. A big, was there a big Dominican community in your in your area? Not at all. Not at all. It was a big Puerto Rican community, but okay. not a big Dominican community. Big Latino, but not Dominican. Not, okay. Correct. Um, and not dark skin at all. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, um, yeah, we know that that often plays people, an issue in a lot of things. People found it kind States. of odd. How do you know how to speak Spanish and you're black? Mm-hmm. Uh, What was what was that like growing up for you? So you went to school in Connecticut, right? Yeah. Growing up, did you have any inkling, um, or was you know how did how did how did that work for you? Growing up, um, I didn't have any. I wouldn't say I didn't have any inkling, but whatever inklings I did have, I did not. I shut them out quicker than quick, you know. It was just like, hey, that's not an option. Right. I didn't even, I didn't even entertain the idea that it was a possibility. So yeah. fast forward to um, leaving your home. Yeah. How did that situation all come about? Was that sort of a moment where you realized, or you were very open about who you were with your family? And well, I, I was open, and it it all came about because my sister. I passed away suddenly. I, um, the oldest sister passed away at the age of 26, leaving two children. And it was rather suddenly. And that caused like a, a trauma in me that I just couldn't, I, I just, there was so many things that I had questions about and I was so confused. Um, and one of the things, one of the questions that lingered in my head, because um, my siblings and I, we did all the arrangements for my sister's um, funeral and, you know, all that good stuff. So we were, because my parents were both a wreck and they couldn't make any decisions. But I don't think even if they could make any decisions, they would have made the right ones because they didn't know my sister the way we we knew each other, like uh, us, the siblings. Oh, yeah, wow. So that was for me. That was like, I guess you can say that was the the question. Was like, if I died tomorrow, would they even know who I am? Right. Oh. That's always interesting too, because you know, you you mentioned the word trauma, and it's always difficult, especially when you have a child pass before you pass away. So that creates trauma, in, you know, within the household with the with the parents, and then with that happening. The parents sometimes don't even know how to nurture their kids because they're nurturing their, their own selves. Yes. And the hurt that goes along with it. And when you come with, from a family that is um, <laughs> many Latinos, even though we are affectionate, we do not know how to 
unpack our emotions. We don't know how to feel through them. We are, we stay, we remain stuck in one emotion instead of allowing it to pass through. Like we keep I, I'm stopping it for whatever reason. And I didn't, I didn't choose to go that route. I even actually went the route of seeking therapy. Um, and that was when I was first diagnosed with bipolar. Wow, that's that's interesting. It's interesting that you would you would do that. And, and what I age is this? Like this, this was... something like something was wrong. Something was off. I would be sleeping. I would be sleeping or feeling tired for weeks on end, mm -hmm. or feeling like I had too much energy. Other weeks, it was like for three, four weeks, I wouldn't even need to sleep. So it was like, okay, there is something that's um, really wrong inside of me. <laughs> it's really interesting that you would you would you know, figure that out. A lot of people don't even understand that they, you know, are going through whether it's a depression or bipolar. And I think kudos to you because the first part of it is is the awareness of it. The yeah. second part of it is actually acting on it, which is what you did. So if you got therapy, then yeah. No, I immediately you. got therapy and I, I didn't even know what therapy was all about. Mm -hmm. I just, um, I, I don't even know how I found that therapist because it was a, the, the oddest thing is that I can remember where her office is, but I don't remember how I even got her information or anything of that nature. Very interesting. I feel like that's a lot of problem, not only in uh, Latino families, but also in the black community. Yes. People of color. You well, know, when I came home with um, antidepressants, uh, my, my mom was like, are you crazy? You're not crazy. You don't need to be taking those pills. Yes, that's the, that's the general response. <laughs> you're going to become uh, uh, you're going to become um, dependent on those pills, and then you're not going to be able to function later on. You're always going to have to be able, to, like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right, and this is a huge problem that we have in the community in our you know people of color community because of the stigma that is associated with having therapy and not being normal and being looked at by people outside of not being normal and there's something wrong you're crazy you're you know you're supposed to handle that in your own home yeah mm -hmm. but it was it was like my mom wasn't dealing with the trauma and wasn't talking about it my other sister didn't live there anymore she was already living with her um then boyfriend who is now her husband now the father of her second child um my younger brother he wasn't dealing with the trauma my father wasn't dealing with the trauma either nobody was and then my grandmother who perhaps would have been the only one to talk about the trauma she was told the trauma but then she forgot about it because she kept asking for my sister every now and then. She didn't have Alzheimer's or anything like that, but for whatever reason, she just blocked it out of her mind and it just became like, well, why even remind her of it all over again? So just wow. leave it. So then you you decided to leave, uh, fast forward to New York? Well, then I, um, throughout my, I guess you say my therapy, I, I was unpacking stuff that, um, that needed to be said um, about my homosexuality. And there I came to terms with who I was. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to tell my parents. I, I wanted to let them know who I was. 
And of course that came with the repercussion of getting kicked out of my home. I don't want to near the the children. I you know, all those all those insults. Typical stereotypical things that people think and say. And yeah. yeah. Well. So I just came to New York. That was just uh, there was no other option, you know. So New York in two thousand and four, how was that? Oh, <laughs> well, I moved right around this time, right around Pride. Mm-hmm. And the first year, I didn't even know it was Pride. Well, I I came to find out it was Pride by my roommate, uh, which I had found on Craigslist. <laughs> I just never, only spoke on the phone once, never saw each other in pictures or anything, just like spoke, uh, I'm ready to move. Okay, yeah, here's the address. Come meet me, and that was it. Interesting. I think a lot of us have those stories too. I moved uh, to New York from Chicago, and you kind of do the same thing. You meet someone online, or you find a way, you know someone who knows someone, and you exchange information, and you take a leap of faith, and you just go. Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I take that leap of faith. Everyone was like, Are you crazy? You don't know this woman? You don't know if she's crazy? I was like, Well, how bad can she really be? Right. <laughs> and this was at the beginning of the internet. Remember, we were still on AOL. Right. AOL was 2004 still, was still AOL. That's right. Was still AOL. Um, <laughs> Yahoo had, um, had Yahoo and I think Yahoo. I don't know if Google had come about. I don't think Google came around. I think there were no, Yahoo no. chat rooms or something in AOL it chat rooms, Yahoo. right? It was Yahoo, the one that was really thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, internet Explorer. But we did not have Google yet. Um, right. Google, I think, like a year later after that. But <laughs> that's funny. So, so what was life like for you in New York, two thousand four? Uh well, it, it was overwhelming. It was completely. So? Um, the city was very big. Mm-hmm. It was moving really at a fast pace, and and there was so much to learn. Because not only was I moving to New York as myself, but I was moving to New York as a new, I guess you could say, um, new inductee to the gay community. And I knew nothing about gay culture, gay behaviors, nothing, nothing at all, you know? Uh, Yeah, I grew up very sheltered in Connecticut, not knowing anything about anything about the gay community at all whatsoever what to expect where to go how to meet people um all of that i learned pretty much as on the fly here in the city um so the city was pretty overwhelming i moved here without a job um so i was looking for work at the same time i had just enough money to last me three months so over four months and then I, it was like, okay, I have to find a, a place or a job or I'm going to be out in the street. Mm-hmm. And because it was month to month, I was fine with the girl, but it was like, okay, money's going to run out soon. Right. <laughs> Got to get a job somewhere. Yes, which um, which is how I stumbled upon um, the adult industry. So that first year, I ended up going to the parade. Um, well... I had gone to the parade the year previous 
with a friend. Mm-hmm. I want to say um, just for everybody who's listening out here who may not be, who may be living under a rock and don't know what Pride is. It's a month of uh, celebration of the gay culture, LGBTQ plus culture of solidarity and people coming out and things like that to uh, as gay and a unit of solidarity for that okay. community. So I'm going to try and like speed this up because it can be okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sometimes on going there. Okay. So the year pre, uh, um, 2003, Pride, I came to the parade for the first time uh, um, with a friend. I had already uh, been in therapy for quite some time with my therapist. So I decided to, um, you know, I first came out to myself. That was the first Pride that I came out to myself. Um, I came to the parade. I met, I ran into Michael Lucas the, from Lucas Entertainment. He gave me his business card, said, I would like you to film with me. So I called him up. I ended up filming. That was my first adult entertainment film that I had done. I'd done it just for shits and giggles, just to say I did it and that was it. Fast forward to the, the following year, I'm walking through the parade and I'm thinking inside my head, if I don't get a job, then um, I can always do porn. <laughs> it was yeah, like yeah. it was like in the mm-hmm. back of my mind. So I ended up um, contacting um, Michael again and he didn't have anything for me at the moment or he did have stuff for me at the moment, but he didn't have stuff that I wanted to do. I didn't want to bottom on camera ever. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. like, you know, I was just like, I don't want to do that part. But um, he's like, I'll keep you in mind, so on and so forth. That's how I stumbled into um, Chelsea guys escorting and I ended up doing that for a little bit then I ended up getting a job at an advertising agency um, but I would say like three months later by um, by September I was already working full-time at an advertising agency um, still New York was very overwhelming people were very disposable Mm, that was my next question did you have a hard time finding friends like real friends people absolutely. that supported you yeah. yeah absolutely i found a lot of people to go out to the clubs with i found a lot of people to hang out with um to do all the, the anything that we, that was sex or parties i could find a ton of people to to engage with right but when it came to going to movies doing anything along those lines no one at all and at the time I was, yeah, I was pretty broken. Um, came, roll around, it was Thanksgiving and it was like, everyone's with their families. And here I am without a family. And then Christmas came around. Um, it so happens that if I had met this guy over the summer, who was an escort, when I was doing the escorting, um, trying to learn the escorting, um, because we were with an agency that taught you step by step how to escort and how to like treat a job, how to do everything. Really? It was called Chelsea Guys. It was really? the best. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was the best education I can say I got. <laughs> Interesting. I guess, I mean, for any community, you know, it would be the same as in a heterosexual community. You know, when women are meeting men, the same thing. They, they you know, you're an escort. So there's probably an organization or something that teaches them how to escort for men. Yeah. Right. No, there. I, I don't think there is. No. There is an, um, an organization that actually teaches you. You kind of pick up the, the tricks of the trade from other 
other models or you know other entertainment um or other sex workers but like chelsea guys was an um an escort agency actually they charge about 1400 for an hour okay <laughs> so wow. they really trained you completely in terms of how you should be how you should present yourself how you should show up um when to collect the money every everything all about it interesting yeah i had no idea how to deal with um questions that they may ask you for entrapment and in case there is the person is a police officer who's trying to entrap you what not to answer what to answer all those questions oh wow okay so yeah wow so that's like uh and, well, and from them i also learned gay culture like how to douche how to clean out all that good stuff that you would get taught you know how do you know when you're fully everything is good you know what i mean because i don't go by that tradition of don't eat the whole day you know right. you can eat whatever you want you just have to prepare take care of yourself yeah yeah so would they they wouldn't find you it's not like they would find your room and board or anything like that it was just an agency to help you get clients to secure your money yeah. groom you in a way that you're presentable yes uh, speech is okay and to watch out for certain things you know there would be like you said entrapment for the police yes okay what to do in case of an overdose what to do they taught you all of that good stuff in case your client overdoses in case you're crying with this and in case there's serious? violence all of that because you could you could potentially run into any of those situations yeah that's crazy that's interesting I, like i've never that never even crossed my mind so Okay, in terms of, of you, and you know, you don't have to say or not, but was there ever a dark time where you fell into the trap of, you know, relying on al too much alcohol or too many parties or things like that? Was that ever part of your situation? That was from the beginning. I okay. moved here broken. I, I'll be honest, I moved here completely broken. Um, imagine being like from a tight knit family and then having nobody and you know they're still alive you don't talk to them you don't communicate with them your nieces your nephews are all growing up not knowing who you are so um i moved here very broken um of course alcohol and um substance use was was part of the part yeah. of the journey yeah was and part of like the, the the numbing um what i used to quiet down the demons or you know what I would what I would have to say is like you know quiet down those those voices inside of you that say you th this part of you is broken or this part of you needs healing or this part of you needs attention when you're all when you're home alone right those are the things that come to mind it's like what is it that you know you can fill up your, your while you're at work um, and I used to work long hours. I would stay there from like nine in the morning and I would stay up to nine at night. But that is just from Monday through Friday. What happens on Saturday, Sunday? <laughs> True. Yeah, and especially if, like you said, if you don't, you're not surrounded by people who aren't really your friends, who care about you, who, you know, love you. And you, you don't know, have like no one to really talk to and open up to, like, like you really, yeah 
you just don't have anybody it's, it's very hard yeah and, and and it's not just you know sadly it's not just uh the gay community it's a lot of people who come here from you know smaller cities who have like you like you who've left their home because of whatever reason and are here searching to find themselves to look for a job you don't find friends that's why we see a lot of the homeless people on the street some are kids some are young mm -hmm. you know uh it could be that they're lgbt it could be uh that they just decided they wanted to get away from their small town and got caught up in drugs i've seen so many some of my friends have even gotten caught up you know in in the scene and uh as you say chewed up and spit out yes and not recovered you know well um i ended up being homeless because of it mm -hmm. um yeah so that was a rude awakening <laughs> mm -hmm. what was that like uh, and I don't want to, if you don't want to go back there, you don't have to go back there, but no, no, I just no, want to no. give people an idea of what, what was that like? Um, again, I was still very, very much lost. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know how to fully connect or I didn't know how to ask for the proper help. Mm. I had gone to, um, to GMHC and I had gone to the the, what is what is GMHC? GMHC is a gay um, gay men's health crisis. Okay. Crisis. Okay. It's um, the organization that was um, started. It started for um, many people who are HIV positive, but um, they service the whole entire community, mental health, and all that good stuff. This is basically like um, an organization that provides services counseling and all that like support and all that good stuff okay so it's i had, gone, mm -hmm. I had Go gone there for services or actually i had gone there to try and meet someone on a like a regular not outside of the club scene so that you know because i was thinking in my head okay well if i meet someone um and we kind of hit it off and we bond and we vibe together you know we can establish a relationship i can heal through 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 the involvement, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> it just didn't. And so would they have they would have uh like meetups or or yeah, meetings meet where you could meet socials. other people? Okay. Yeah. Socials or what, what yeah. And they would have like coffee and whatever for you to come in. Um there were even some classes if you wanted to take computer classes or if you wanted to for a lot of the people are homeless. So I didn't find like I connected with a lot of people in in at the organization. Um, I yeah, I, I didn't find that I connected with too many of them. Right, I, I didn't connect with too many of them at the the gay and lesbian center and um, in the West Village either. It just seems to have like a lot of different groups in a lot of different rooms. I, well, let's just put it this way. When I first moved here, I knew I was in New York. I'm in the mix, but I'm not a part of the mix. It was like having something that just did not mix into the, you know, like you put something that's going to supposed to mix in with the cake batter. Right. I wasn't mixing it. I right. wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was still remaining solid and like my shape in this battle of cake. <laughs> right. You know, it's funny. I always say, you know, we all have issues and I call them shoes. 
but you have to find someone else whose shoes fit your shoes. And probably, you know, all those people had their own, you know, things going on, but you weren't compatible just because, you know, you may be gay or you may be, you know, black, you may be a Latino, you may be, it doesn't mean that we're going to connect. Yeah. So yeah, there was a connection missing for you on that point. Yeah, I understand. There was a, there was so much missing. And then at that same, very same moment, Redman, um, no, not Redman, um, Manhunt had emerged as the first, um, one of the first um, hookup um, websites. So it was just so much easier to just connect with people. I substituted physical connection for emotional connection. Yeah, it was it was that simple because right. it was you know it was easier than trying to establish a connection with men right exchanging yes uh sexual experiences for intimate experience and love yeah yeah well at that point i knew that i i wasn't looking for love because i wasn't gonna let anybody in to see the broken parts of myself mm. i was I, I knew it wasn't love that I was looking for. Mainly companionship. Companionship. Yes. Okay. All right. So fast forward to where we are today, because the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, of this incredible journey that you've already had, but now <laughs> you're embarking on a whole nother journey, which I think is admirable. You're actually helping people, you know, in a way that's, you know, taking people down down away from the path that you were on. Yeah. Well, somewhere else. Well, let's just put it this way. Um, during that entire time of being broken, not knowing how to heal myself, not knowing where to go for healing, not knowing that I even needed healing. <laughs> let's just put it that way. Yeah. Um, I made um, many, many decisions. Among them was the decision not to get tested. Um, uh, so I decided not to get tested for many, many years um, to know my status, my HIV status. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know exactly why I decided that I didn't want to get tested. I just decided that I didn't want, it, want to. Like, if it was gonna happen to all of us, because back then it was more of a question of when is it gonna happen to any one of us? It was not so much if it's gonna happen, it's just like a matter of when it's gonna happen. But we're basically all doomed together sooner or later. Interesting. Yeah, because we, we didn't have prep. We didn't have, um, they kept saying about the studies that are gonna come out that we want you to be a part of these studies. But that went on, I mean, that dragged on for forever. We're searching, we're searching, we're, we're searching for individuals. But there was no data being um, communicated to the public about this is what we've already, like, this is what we've already come, um, this is what we are trying to test. You know what I mean? Like, we have gotten this far and we believe that this is true, but we are trying to test this. Because there was uh, so many different parts to um, prep and all of that, and U equals U which is undetectable equals untransmittable was a big thing. Your doctor kept telling you, we want you to become suppressed, virally suppressed. But there was no reason why they were asking you to become virally suppressed. There was no explanation as to why. 
Okay. So I, I kind of like, I want to do this to explain this to people because there's, you know, there's a lot of terminology that's going on. So what is, what is prep? Prep is an, um, is a drug regimen treatment that you take daily. Mm -hmm. Um, well, first I would say it came out as a daily one, one pill day, um, regimen treatment that prevents you from becoming HIV positive if you are exposed to the virus. It basically protects your cells from, um, from the virus entering into those cells and mutating the cell and using that cell to manufacture more HIV copies of itself. Okay, got it. So it's not exclusive to just the uh, LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's for, for everybody. everybody. Okay. Everyone, everyone, everyone can act, actually take prep, and they're they're completely fine. There is one um, transgender, female, to male. There might be some um, when it comes to transgender individuals. Please go to the CDC and look at some of these um, because there might be some restrictions. I'm just reading for them. Well, I'm just telling you for them, for, for the most part, for most people, but there might be some differences when it comes to transgender individuals. Don't quote me on this. I, you know, I can't keep them all, uh, all straight in my head. <laughs> right. And we'll put all the links to those things. I'll put all the links to those things in the notes of the yeah. episode. So yeah. Well, they can always <laughs> visit the HIV Stops With Me campaign, um, HIVStopsWithMe.org. And there we have a list of resources and we'll link you to everyone that you need to be linked to in order to find what you're looking for. Absolutely. Which, let's let's talk about that for one quick second, too. And I and I did a little perusing on the website myself, too, because I wanted to know. So HSWM, they have uh, advocacy and activism, uh, a link for resources, housing, mental hygiene, anti-violence, legal aid, housing, nutrition uh syringe access and exchange which is an important thing to know too that it you know hiv is not exclusively to people of the lgbtq plus community correct and i want to hit you with a couple of statistics because i know for a fact that uh according to hiv.com uh seven percent of the new cases or drug users uh heterosexual are 23 percent of all diagnosis 7% men and 16% women mm -hmm. where blacks and Latinos are obviously disproportionately infected blacks being 13% of the US population but 44% of the new HIV cases Hispanics and Latinos Latinx 18% of the US population but 30% of the new cases so that kind of hits you really hard um, and then According to HIV. I'm sorry, it's HIV.gov. Excuse me, HIV.gov. They also say that there are certain areas in the country where you can break it down and find out too. The South is 15.2 percent. The Northeast is a whopping 9.4 percent. The Midwest is 7.2 percent, and when you go out west, is 9.2 percent. So there's certain areas that, you know, you can kind of see where, where the yeah. HIV is is uh, hitting the hardest. Well, the, um, the Black, especially African-American community, has the highest. Um, it's basically predicted that one in every two of uh, any member of the LGBTQ will 
during the course of his life become HIV positive? One of every two. So go to a, 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 any club in Harlem and just divide the room in half. Right. Quite a lot. So they're saying 1.2 million are living with it. Do you feel like in the last couple of years, um, I know we had a pandemic, do you feel like it's been pushed like completely to the back burner? I think that during the pandemic um, and even after the pandemic, yes, because that's um, that's just the culture of America. Mm. One thing like takes the place of another. Instead of saying, we still have this problem and we have a new one that has come up that takes precedence or it, um, it is taking priority right at this moment, but we can't forget the other ones that are that we're still dealing with Absolutely. but america tends to be more of like um like our news our news stories one story knocks another one out of the uh, out of the, the trending spot and then we're no longer talking about the old one that was a big issue um now we're just talking about the new one that's trending you think it's because we you know as we just said with the statistics that it's mainly the marginalized community that's just kind of being brushed to the side the Latinos, Latinx. Well, that is, that's always been Blacks. the truth. Mm -hmm. That has always been the truth because the American government had really never cared for the Latino or Black community in terms of whether we live or we die. They're obviously killing us all, all the time. Police officers are killing us, so... Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. They had that experiment with, um, which they did long ago with the African-American community um the um the St tuskegee institute yeah okay so there was that whole experimentation that mm -hmm. they did with all people of color many people think that COVID is, is another experiment to try and eradicate people of melanin skin um and we, you could see where that is there is some truth you could see where that can generate some people to believe that it is possible that right. this this was an experiment to try and eradicate more african-american or people of color mm -hmm. or gay population too yeah but yeah in general yeah interesting yeah you're absolutely right do you think that there um what's the stigma behind it all the what the stigma. What do you do? You feel like there's, uh, you know, why is there? Why do people with HIV? Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to, you know, say that they have it. Well, I will tell you this: the, the, the honest to God reason is because of this. Because HIV is, for the most part, um, most people become HIV positive through sexual intercourse or um, through the use of, um, of, of drug um, drug use syringes. So many people feel that it was, a, they made a conscious choice to become HIV positive. Yeah, yeah. They right. see it as a, um, as a flaw, but nobody is questioning anybody who gets into a car accident. We all get behind the wheel True. and no one question. It's just, um, nobody goes, has sex with anybody with the intention that they're going to 
get HIV. Right, to get an STD. It's just like nobody enters a car with the intention that they're going to get into a car accident. Right. It's an accident that just happened. But for whatever reason, because driving is a necessity, having because having sex falls under the moral clause. Right, yeah. Of morality. And right. you know, we live in this world where we, um, the very act that created life is, um, we we shame upon it. Right. Even though the only reason why we're all here is because somebody had sex with somebody else. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, just saying. Right. So it all goes back to religion. Yeah. Yes. And what your religious beliefs are. How do we, uh, you know, just as people living in the world, you know, not just the United States, but how do we dispel this whole thing? How do we, uh, you know, get rid of that bad, that stigma around by, it? By more individuals who are like myself. In the campaign itself, we have 20, 29 uh, or 28, or I don't know, you can count the number of individuals that are there, but normally it's between 25 and 30 um, spokesmodels who are are HIV positive from all different circumstances. Some are born with it. Some are um, perinatal. I believe that's when your the mother passes it through the um, breast um, milk. Um, some are there's just all sorts of different individuals. HIV does not discriminate against your the your color, your sexual orientation, who you are. None of that. HIV is an equal opportunity, I guess you can say virus. <laughs> if you are a host, it will invade your, your, your body if it gets the opportunity to do so. And it can happen to almost just about anyone from the first time you have sexual intercourse to the hundredth time. You know what I mean? I know some people that probably had more sex than a porn star, and they are. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. How do we? Yeah, that's that's a so big one. It's having more individuals like myself just um, coming out and saying, this is what, what my reality is. Um, individuals who are not afraid to talk to their families, to their friends, because this is the way you prevent it among your, your tight-knit circle is if you're open about it. Right. If you just take, um, yeah, you can manage your own HIV by yourself at home. And if you tell no one, great, wonderful. You're managing your yourself. Um, I mean, like, there's been a ton of celebrities that have passed away. Her Brits, um, um, McQueen um, was HIV positive. Um, her Brits was HIV. There's so many individuals who have a platform that they could actually speak about this, and they haven't used it. And mm -hmm. I don't, I don't understand why. You know, yeah, other I mean, than think, Matthew Johnson, we haven't had anyone of, of celebrity status come out and say, talk about their status like that. Right. Well, we just had this other uh, guy from Pose. He actually yes, and no, no, he didn't. Not, he didn't say anything about his status. I was thinking Ricky Martin, but no, he didn't, he didn't say, say anything. anything. Definitely didn't say anything. But yeah, you're right. You know, having having people with a larger platform talk about it would certainly help this uh, this situation. Um, yeah, and I think that you know just education about it and knowing that um, you know being careful 
uh, preventive measures, wearing a condom. Um, you know, obviously you can't, you're not, you're a human, you make mistakes. But knowing that if you do contract it, that you can still live a healthy life, you can still manage your life, still know that, you know, it doesn't, you know, once your uh, T cells are at a certain level, you, well, yeah, you, there's a lot you may not to pass unpack. to your, you know, your partner. There's a lot to unpack when it comes to um, HIV. The most important thing that I would say, um, if you ask me why am I HIV positive today? I will tell you the only reason is because I did not educate myself at all about what HIV was. I had no education. I knew nothing about HIV other than what that it was, you could get it through unprotected sex and through the sharing of needles. That's those were, those were the only two facts I knew about HIV. Well, I knew nothing mm -hmm. else about HIV. I knew absolutely nothing, no, nothing, nothing else. And this is why I wanted to have you on the show is because what you do is you go out to the community and you do outreach and you educate people. And where are the, some of the places you go? Do you do it in the center or is, do you actually go to location, different locations or schools or? Well, um, <clears throat> well, I, I have the, 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 the privilege and the luxury of doing it through my patients that I have at work. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I have that flexibility, but when it comes to advocacy, I do a lot of it. Uh, I do a lot of it online through sharing of my personal story. Um, I'm now starting to do it more. Um, the country has opened up, and New York has opened up, and it's safe because of COVID. I'm starting now to get out more in the community, and I'm here in Harlem. I tend to do it more, so. I'm trying to reach the the younger demographic, the ones that are going out, hanging out, partying, you know, the, that whole crowd. Right, that's right. Because once that once that gets into the mix, you know, your whole guard gets let down, and everything. Well, you know, there's alcohol and everything yeah. like it. And if this is just a reminder, just go get tested. Right. Because it, it, your life already changed. A long time ago. Whether you're, if you're HIV positive, your life changed a long time ago. Whether you know your status or you don't, so you might as well know it because you can prevent a lot of, yeah, a lot of things from happening to you. Because once you allow your immune system to be so compromised that it reaches the level of AIDS, not no longer HIV but AIDS, um, then a then it's yeah, it becomes. Not so good. Okay. More difficult to manage in a lot of ways. Yes. Gotcha. One last thing you'd like us to know about either your journey or what you're doing with the organizations or where we are, you know, with the HIV situation and hope for the future. That HIV Nobody's at fault. When it comes to HIV, there's nobody to blame. There's no fingers to point at. Nobody is at fault. But we are all responsible for HIV. And that includes HIV negative, HIV positive. We are all responsible for this virus because we all have an HIV status. Every single one of us. 
you can be HIV negative, so you have a status, an HIV status. I am HIV positive, I have an HIV status. We're all responsible for this virus. And it's a human problem, it's a human issue, and we have to address it together, working together, communicating together. It is not just uh, the responsibility of one versus another. No, this is a responsibility of us globally all together. And there is, and there's nobody at fault, nobody to blame. You know, it happens. Let's focus more on addressing the the virus. Um, for those who are HIV, um, who are HIV positive, let's address how they can get linkage to care, uh, remain in care, um, adhere to their treatment so they can reach an undetectable viral load because being undetectable means you're untransmittable. So that means I cannot transmit this, this to anybody at all. No matter how, how much unprotected sex I have, I cannot transmit it to anyone. So if that's the case, um, if we were, if everyone who was HIV positive currently at this very moment, that was the case, there would be no new infections if we were all undetectable. But we also have a large population that don't even know their status, that they're afraid to get tested and so on and so forth. So again, it, this is the responsibility of all of us. It is not just HIV positive or negative. And there is no, no shaming anybody because nobody went, everyone has a different story and nobody intended this to be their, the outcome. It just so happens that it's the outcome. So the, the one thing you can do is be responsible. If you have a car accident, don't you call your insurance company? Don't you do follow all the steps in order to get yourself back on the road, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is this. We had a car accident. So now we're just the individuals who were affected have to follow the steps in order to get back on the road again and not endanger other, you know, you're not going to get on the road with that same broken car that is not fixed, that the wheel's broken. You're not going to get on the road because you're endangering not just yourself, but other passengers. Other people, so yeah. What, so what exactly are we doing? Those who are, have been affected, those are uh, affected, not infected. Because you either, you are transmitted the virus, we don't use the word infected anymore. But those who are affected by this, um, by the, by the virus, all they have to do is just get the necessary help, treatment, so that they are not endangering other individuals and they're also taking care of themselves. There you go. That means take responsibility. Yes. Take and responsibility. that's how you will slay HIV. There you go. Okay. See that? I like that. HIV stops with me. There you go. And I want to take a quick look over there. So everybody who's watching the video podcast, there's a, uh, a beautiful uh, photograph of the spokesmodel right here. Can you see? <laughs> I hope they can see it. <laughs> they can definitely see it. Also, one last thing. Tell us how we can get in touch with you and how, how can we find out more? Well, um, on, on Twitter, I am at Leo Donato XXX. On Facebook, I am Leo Donato, a.k.a. Jeffrey Felice Ibez. On Instagram, I am Jess Jeffrey underscore JS. And you can always, always catch me on HIVstartswithme.org. Not only myself, but a, a, an array of other sports models 
they're all all their stories are just as beautiful and um as intriguing and as um motivating as my my own story um and yeah and then of course you could always find me at work um if you are looking for treatment and or need help or counseling or any of that um nature or need someone to get tested for hiv stis you name it to get on prep or get more information about prep pep and other ways to prevent hiv you could always visit me at monte fury um that is up in the bronx monte fury medical center there's also the oval at monte fury which is a sexual health clinic, which is all sexual health related. So it doesn't matter what it is, it's all sexual health related. Um, not, you don't even need just to ask for me, you can please just go there. The staff will help you and they're wonderful and they will assist you. I mean, this is what we do. <laughs> there you have it, you said a mouthful. I'm gonna put all that stuff in the notes because I want yeah. everyone to please have access to that information. This has been a beautiful, beautiful episode. Lee, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I know you've inspired, you've helped so many people with this information. Thank you so much. Please come back anytime. It's Gay Pride Month, but this episode is not just for the LGBT plus community. This is for everyone. So I wanna thank everybody who's tuning in to this episode. Please share the information. Look Lee up if you need help, if you have questions, please follow him on all his social media. And I want to thank you guys all for listening to the podcast. Thank you for joining me on One Mic Night. Please, One Mic Night is spelled O-N-E-M-I-C-N-I-T-E. We're on all digital platforms. You can find us on One Mic Night on YouTube. You can follow me at Marcos Luis. Marcos Luis is M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S. Also, make sure you take a run over to the Harlem International Film Festival website where you see me as I was the host of the Harlem International Film Festival the 20. There's some talkbacks with filmmakers on there you can take a look at and support the independent artists on that platform. Thank you guys all for joining me. I'll see you next time. Bye.